as many of you know, <clears throat> uh, one of my brothers died last week in a car accident, so completely out of the blue. Paul, he was three years old, three and a half years older than I was. And so I want to thank all of you who prayed for Paul's soul and for his significant other, Edie, who was in the car with them. And she's recovering, but she's banged up pretty good. <clears throat> and thank you for your prayers and support for me, too. In Paul's passing, it reminded me, <clears throat> reminds us all when things like that happen of, of how fragile life is. We know not the day nor the hour of our passing. And how precious life is, too. Paul had lived in Idaho for ah, 25, 30 years, something like that. So I only saw Paul uh, once a year or maybe even once every other year is, is what that was, had come out to. So we weren't close in, in the sense of spending time together. But needless to say, with his passing, it was certainly a time of uh, reflection and mourning for me. And still is, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. On Good Friday, just a couple of days ago, which is one of the busiest days of the year for a parish priest, I got a call from bishop, one of the bishops to cons a, a consolation call. And... And I, and I got to thinking, God, I can't do this right now. I'm just too busy. You know, I, I, you know, not until I come home at the end of the evening can I afford to, to mourn. But that mourning is there, and we know what that's like. Uh, throughout our life, we go through mourning. Mourning at the death of somebody who's important to us or means something to us, whether that's our parents or maybe our grandparents and uh, eventually spouses and children and grandchildren, brothers and sisters. And then there's also, too, the, the death by someone's choice when relationships just naturally part ways. And a lot of that's very natural. Kids grow up, they leave home. It can be a heartbreaking moment. <clears throat> and then there's failed relationships, too. But we, un we understand that pain. That's, this is where I'm going, is that we can all connect with that. I think it's easier to connect with that, and I don't know why. I, I don't have the synapses in my brain right now to make those connections. Then it is to connect with the happiness that we might not feel right now. So maybe no one's feeling really sad right now or depressed or anything like that. But when I bring this up, it's like, well, I know what you're talking about. I've been there, and I, ooh, that's, that's rough. I, believe me, I know, etc. But when I, was, when I were to talk about joy, they go, yeah, yeah, that's a great kind of concept, and I experienced that, and that's all well and good. And <clears throat> but there doesn't seem to be the ability to grab it, like we can grab sorrow, like we can grab mourning. So, but there can be just as much intensity with joy as there can be with sorrow. And I'm reminded of the Blessed Virgin Mary at the foot of the cross of Jesus, I can't imagine the sorrow. I mean, as, <clears throat> as a parent, seeing your only child die in front of you, be tortured to death in front of you, the intensity of her pain and her mourning in that moment is utterly inconsolable. Be the kind of thing when Jesus is taken down from the cross where John and the holy women would have to almost carry her home. She would be just so incapacitated from being worn out with grief and the intense pain. It might as well have been hit by a truck. I mean, literally, you feel so, even physically, you feel it. 
And then imagine her joy, the other end of the spectrum. So one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. This joy at the moment Jesus rises from the dead and she's the first to know. She's the first to know. She knows. She immediately knows. And the joy, the joy would just be overwhelming. Overwhelming. Maybe even so much so that physically you feel like you're hit by a truck. It's just so intense, the joy. When we're in sadness or in mourning or in depression, there's a sense that this will never lift. Or if, you know, it won't be this bad tomorrow or next week or something, that basically life will just always be bad. This is this phenomenon that happens. And so people with depression, they, you know, they start ideation of bad things because they never think that this will end. This is permanent now. And the opposite of that's true too. When we experience intense joy, it's not that we think, oh, for the rest of my life I'm going to feel this intense joy. But rather what it is is because I've experienced this, I can handle the rest of life. I can do it because I've experienced this. another family member. When I was about 16, my sister Patricia married Joe. And at the wedding, this is is really, it was really very touching. I I was an altar server there. I was probably holding the book. I think I was holding the book for my dad, who's a permanent deacon, who actually witnessed the vows at the wedding mass. And Joe kept crying. He started crying. As soon as they got down in front, my dad says, Joe, do you take Patricia? He goes, bah! He just starts crying. And he can't, he's crying and sobbing so much he can't even say, I do. He can't say, I do. My dad's going, you know, do you, da-da-da, and he can't. And, and dad just says, nod your head, Joe, and Joe like this. <clears throat> Joe, Joe hit the wife lottery, and he knew it. And he knew that, okay, whatever comes for the rest of my life, I got Trish, and it's going to work out. It's going to work out. But there it was, the other end of the the spectrum. It wasn't sorrow. It wasn't pain or anything like that. It it was pain. It It wasn't mourning. It was joy so penetrating that Joe had to just cry, just let go and cry. And I think we've all been there, too. There have been things in our lives that have been so intensely joyful that there's this thing that says, well, come what may, everything will be okay. When Jesus rises from the dead and the apostles discover he's risen from the dead and they've gone through holy hell, they've gone through holy hell between the Garden of Gethsemane and the arrest of Jesus and they got no sleep that night and Jesus is crucified they put all their eggs in that one basket. They had risked their fr- lost their friends and reputation and livelihoods. And, uh, it, it was, and then the authorities are after them too. And they're, oh, oh, horrible, the grief. They had never come to love somebody as much as they had come to love Jesus. And now he's dead and they didn't know what comes next. And then he rises from the dead and then they don't know what to make of that. And then they meet him in person and and they, they continue to be with him for the next 40 days as Jesus appears and disappears until he ascends into heaven. 
And then the rest of their life, that's not the end of the story. Their love for him, their relationship with him will grow even though he's not physically present to them. Through the power of prayer, of constant prayer, the praying always, as Jesus tells us, and the apostles becoming saints, they weren't born that way. They became that way. They kept leaning into that relationship and giving their lives to Jesus. And by the end, they would emulate his death. Ten of them would die martyrs. Nine of them in foreign countries. Ten of them would die in foreign countries. Nine of them as martyrs. Because everything would be all right. As Jesus rose from the dead, come what may of the rest of one's life, if I know that when I stand before eternity, that Jesus will be standing in front of me, and I am baptized, and I love him, and I'm going to serve him in this life, then he's going to show me the way to the beatific vision in the next life. And come what may, all of life is bearable. Even the hard parts of life can become joyful. And I conclude with this, that there are times in our lives when we're just pouring ourselves out for something. And in the moment we think, oh, this is a drudgery. This is wiping me out. This is too much for my nervous system. I, I can't handle this. I need to not do this, you know, whatever it is. But what if, what if it's all part of God's big plan? And that's what the Lord wants of you and me in that moment. And that moment is going to lead to glory. That moment's going to lead to resurrection and eternity with God. Not only for you, but for others because of you. Then strangely enough, strangely enough, if you know and you're Mary and John at the foot of the cross, if you know what's going to happen, he's going to rise from the dead, then even in this moment of intense pain and sorrow, there can be a kind of surrender. There can be, I know you're winning, Jesus. Nobody can see it, but you're winning. And in that, a kind of joy. As we read through the lives of the saints, Many of them suffer horrifically. Many of them are, are suffering souls. That's, that's their job, is to just suffer. That's their job. It's to suffer and being completely virtuous, offering it all up without any complaining or anything of the sort, giving it to God. And even in the suffering, they're like, my Lord Jesus, I love you, Jesus. All for Jesus. All of this for Jesus. That even in the suffering, they, their joy can't be removed because they found him. Jesus died and rose from the dead for you and for me, and if you were the only person that was ever created, he would have done it for just you. And not even knowing for sure that you would accept him, maybe like the fallen angels, you would still reject him. But on the gamble that just you and you alone and nobody else, on the gamble that just you and a gamble, he would die on Calvary and rise from the dead. That's worthy of the kind of crying that my brother-in-law Joe had on his wedding day. The kind of joy that will last you for life, knowing that in the end, I will stand before the Lord in all eternity 
in one way or another. I'm going to enter the beatific vision. And so I guess there's nothing in this life that I can't handle anymore because of Jesus. Amen.